0: Today, we're going to look at a really weird miracle. I entitled today, uh, kind of generously, I entitled it, Mistakes and Miracles. But I also had multiple other titles. And I'm just going to read you some other possible titles. Um, I would call this miracle called, uh, I would also say that it could be called, Messing Up Jesus' Plan. Um, I don't know if you've ever felt like you've messed up Jesus' plan, but it can happen, by the way. So I would call this miracle that. Um, I would call it... <laughs> taken from the Avengers movie, uh, I think it's the Captain America First Avenger thing. Uh, I would call it Stepping on Jesus' Moment. That would be a good name for this one, uh, because Peter does exactly that. He steps on Jesus' Moment. Um, I, I taught a series at camp one time, and uh, I used this in one of the messages, and I called it Clueless in Jerusalem, just clueless. Peter is clueless. and uh, and Or you could say this is three ways to mess up a God thing. You know, you can just mess up a God thing. You say, well, can you mess up a God thing? Peter did a real good job of it right here. And so this, one of, this is one of Jesus' miracles that's based on a giant mistake made by one of his closest disciples. Think about that. This is a miracle Jesus did because one of his closest disciples made a just buffoon, giant mistake. So let me tell you a little bit about Peter, the Apostle Peter. And, and uh, there's a lot more written for me to read to you than what you have on your paper. So you can jot down notes or just go back online and catch all this. Uh, Peter was one of the closest disciples of Jesus. He was considered part of the inner three. Peter, James, and John were the three closest disciples to Jesus. Then he had the the rest of them, the rest of the twelve And then he actually had 70-plus disciples. He had a whole group of women disciples, by the way, ladies. didn't want to leave you all out. But he had a whole group of women disciples that hung out with him and took care of him and the men and took care of a lot of responsibilities. And they were actually the ones that showed up at the tomb at the right time to get the message out of the gospel. So thanks, ladies, for doing that. Um, But Peter would have witnessed more of God's work and heard more truth than most anybody during his time period. He just would have. That, because he was close to Jesus, because he was right there with him at all these crazy times, he would have seen all the miracles we've been studying. He would have seen all those. He was at Jesus' baptism with John the Baptist because he was part of John's group, which is the beginning of Jesus' official ministry. So he was right from, right from the very beginning. Peter was there. He, he saw Jesus raise people from the dead, from a death. Can you imagine him just stopping a funeral and getting a person that's on a coffin, which was more like a stretcher for us? The a guy laying on a coffin, a son of a, of a widow, and he raises that, I mean, he just stopped the funeral and raised the guy up out of the coffin. Peter saw all that. He was right there with Jesus going, what's he doing? You can't interrupt the funeral. You're not supposed to touch dead things as Jews. What's he doing? You know, and Jesus just right up in the middle of all that doing what Jesus only can do, by the way. Just raise the dead. Uh, of course, he would have been there with Lazarus. Peter's the only disciple that ever walked on water with Jesus. He walked on water with Jesus. Okay, that's a mark in his book that, you know, nobody, no other disciple gets that credit, but he was right there with him. He was the, the disciple who had this answer that a lot of theologians say is one of the most powerful moments in Jesus' early ministry. As, as Jesus' ministry gets moving, he begins to tell, he begins to seek answers and says, what do people say, who do people say that I am? There's all these wrong answers. And, and Jesus does some hard teaching. In John chapter six, Jesus does some really hard teaching about you needing to, to commune with God and commune with Jesus. And you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And of course, the Jews are freaking out at the imagery of all that. They're not understanding anything like what Jesus is trying to help them understand, uh, because they're not, they haven't dive, dove into the Old Testament enough to know how, that analogy and all of that. So here's, uh, Jesus. When he gets with the disciples, he finally just gets them... It actually says thousands of people walked away from Jesus that day. He had a crowd of 10,000, 15,000 people following him. And they all walked away. And then there's these 12 goobers, right, hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus looks at them and goes, well, are you we all going to go away also? And here's, here's what the text says. After this, Jesus said, said this, many of his followers left him and stopped following him. Jesus said to the 12, do you want to leave too... And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One from God. Theologians all over say this is one of the greatest texts ever uh, of, a, of the Apostle Peter declaring Jesus as the Holy One. So Peter has this credential in his, you know, his little book of credentials, things I did good, things I did right mark that off. I, call, I figured it out. You're the Holy One. And when he asked, well, will you go away? He goes, well, I'm not going anywhere. You're the guy. You're the one. You're the one. So he's very, very amazing that. Peter was invited to Jesus to his transfiguration where Jesus went up on the mountain and he's actually going to be re-blessed by God. Now at Jesus' baptism, he was blessed by God. Remember the voice from heaven? This is my son whom I'm well pleased. Well, now he's going to go up on the mountain and he's going to be transfigured and in that process, God himself is going to once again speak from heaven to Jesus. And anybody around that can hear. And Peter gets the invitation. Man, you imagine. You know, I need you to come up the mountain me. we're going to do something special. Oh yeah, Jesus, I'm with you. So he goes up the mountain. And here's what, here's, here's what happens. Matthew 17. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and two brothers, James and John, and led them up to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus appeared Uh, As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun. Now, in the book of Revelation, Mr. Kendall, the book of Revelation, what is his face shone like? The sun. Remember? So, in Jesus', in this moment on the mountain, the disciples are getting a glimpse of the real God that's with God man. Not just the man part now, because remember, he veiled his glory. He veiled His glory to become man. And now they're on this mountain and they're seeing the God part, right? So here's the, here's the God part just peeking out. His clothes became as white as light. And then suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. <laughs> you imagine, you're standing there and this guy named Moses and Elijah show up on the mountain with you and they're talking to Jesus like, hey man, it's good to see you. Where you been? We've been missing you up in heaven. Yeah, it's everything's good. It's good. We're all good. Yeah, yeah, so what are you doing down here? Well, you're dying for the sins of, God. that's right. We, oh, that's right. We knew you were going to do that. Yeah, there's all this conversation happened. Peter, who can't, who talks without thinking sometimes, by the way, um, ADHD kind of guy that he is, he, it actually says that the, the Greek word is very accurate to this translation. Peter blurted out, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, if you want, I'll make three shelter memorials. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Is there any problem with that, by the way? Not really, because they're all great people. There's just one that stands out far above the others. So we don't need three memorials. How many memorials should we build? Just one. Because Peter still... I mean, he's just enamored. I I can't blame him, because if you were up there, you'd be doing the same thing. Man, we need to do something special for Moses. Do something special for Elijah. Oh, and then there's Jesus, the Son of God. So while he's thinking an earthly thought about all that, God himself interrupts with, with an event. As He spoke, a bright cloud came over them, and a voice from the cloud said, "'This is My dearly beloved Son, who brings Me great joy. Listen to Him.'" If you mark things in your Bible, if you're in your Bible looking at this passage, in Matthew chapter 17, that's real important. God says, "'This is My Son, dearly beloved, whom I'm well pleased.'" Listen to him. Now, Peter's standing right there while God speaks this. The disciples were terrified. They fell face down on the ground. Jesus came over and touched them and said, Get up. Don't be afraid. Like, you know, I invited you up here. Nothing's going to hurt you. When they looked, they saw only Jesus. They sat back down and they went back down the mountain. Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. You think that's a clue about what's about to happen? Oh yeah. Jesus got his inner three guys and he's guiding them through his process. They saw his face become like the sun, his clothes like, like brightest lights ever. And they heard God affirm him and then God told them, listen to him. And then Jesus says, hey, I don't say anything about this till, listen to what he says, till I've been raised from the dead. The whole, the whole plan is right there in front of Peter. And Peter's had the privilege of being on the mountain with Jesus. He's had the privilege of making that great statement about Jesus. He's walked on the water with Jesus. He's just an amazing guy. And yet, and yet, he is the only disciple that Jesus ever called Satan. Man, if you want Jesus to call you a bad name, you know, I mean, if he was like... You Nicodemus, you know, like you Pharisee. That would be bad, you know. You're like a Pharisee to me, you know. I mean, you, you, you sit next to Jesus and He's going, man, you guys are, you are just like one of the Pharisees. That would be bad because Jesus doesn't like the Pharisees and how they think, right? They're religious, their religiosity has gotten in the way of the relationship they have with God. And so there's all that tension between Jesus and them. That's not what Jesus calls Peter. I just want you to look at this passage Matthew 16, from then on Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders. He's telling them what's going to happen. The leading priests, the teachers of the religious laws, he would be killed. Jesus is telling them, I will be killed, but on the third day I'll be raised from the dead. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. you imagine taking Jesus aside to reprimand him? Peter took him aside, began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are only seeing things from a human point of view, not from God's. Peter, you're picturing those tragic things I just listed as tragedies on earth. Not as triumphs in heaven. You're seeing them as earthly. And I've been walking with you for a long time now, trying to get you to see things through my grid. Look through my grid, Peter. Don't look through an earthly grid. Look through my grid. So we have to learn to see things as Jesus sees them. We have to learn to see things as Jesus sees them. Just like these storms, these big storms that are coming in. People are going, why would God allow that? Well, why would God allow that? Here's our nation with all this division and all this racial war stuff and just one thing after another. And Cody was telling me this morning that, that some, guys, some guy on Facebook was going, where's your God now and you know, why is God allowing all these storms? And he says, maybe if so we'll rally together because you, know, you see all these people. Of all. It doesn't matter what race you are, when your house is flooding, when you need help, people are getting boats and going to help each other. People are going in homes and rescuing each other. It doesn't matter your race or your, your color. As it should be, by the way, right? So here's God trying to get Peter, to, Jesus trying to get Peter to see things from the heavenly viewpoint. The heavenly viewpoint. So Peter's got all these credentials and then Jesus actually turns around and says to him, Get behind me, Satan. That had to sting a little bit, don't you think? Peter, Peter, Peter probably pouted in his tent that night when he went to bed. He's like, man, Satan, he called me Satan. That's hard, right? And then, Peter's the only disciple ever on record on the most important night in all of Jewish history and all of world history when the Lamb of God was going to become a willing sacrifice for the sins of man. It's that night, the the holy Passover night where Jesus is going to be turned over to the elders uh, in Jerusalem, and they're actually, the priests themselves are going to make him the sacrificial lamb for the sins of man, just like Jesus prophesied would happen. Peter jumps in the middle of the whole thing and and tries to stop the whole thing by killing a man. He cuts off Malchus's ear, but in the, he was his attempt was to kill him. So here's a guy with all these credentials, and then all of a sudden, when Jesus is right at the point of doing the greatest work ever, Peter goes, no, hey, and he starts fighting. you got to go, man, where would that come from, Peter? What is wrong with you? Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Here's our miracle. This is the miracle, the weird miracle, okay? Luke 22. While Jesus was speaking, a crowd came up and Judas, one of the twelve apostles, was leading them. And by the way, the crowd is, is... 600 or more Jewish soldiers led by Judas with the priest leading them. and The, the leading priests and Pharisees are, are ahead of all this. He came close to Jesus so he could kiss him. And Jesus said to Judas, Judas, you are using the kiss to give the Son of Man to his enemies. It's a good translation, by the way using this new century version, using the kiss. Because see, there were different kisses in, in that culture, just like there are in ours. And that kiss was a family kiss. He kissed him like a family member. Judas walked up to Jesus and kissed him like a family member to betray him. And Jesus made a point. When those who were standing around him saw what was happening, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Now, that's the disciples. Where did they get swords? Well, that's a very good question. I'm glad you asked, and I'm not going to tell you. You should look it up yourself. Now, if you go back to the upper room in, in the book of Luke that records the upper room story, that Jesus is warning them about all this trauma that's about to happen. And and one of them says, Well, should we arm ourselves? Should we have swords? And Jesus goes, and Peter finds some in the back of the upper room. There's some swords, little daggers. That's all the Jews were allowed to carry. There's some little daggers and and, and he goes, Hey, here's some swords. And Jesus goes, that'll do, that'll do. They're not going to use them wisely. They're going to make a mess out of this right here. So should should we strike them with our swords? Now, this disciple is saying to Peter, when he sees what's happening, should we strike with our swords? And then there's the other disciple, Peter who's just already doing that. He's not waiting for an answer. It actually says, one of them struck the servant's high priest and cut off his right ear. So one disciple's having a little moment going, man, this looks scary. Lord, what should we do? The other disciple's are going, I'm not asking him. Let's just go. <laughs> right? He's just boldly going where angels would fear to tread. Here goes Peter, right in the middle of all this, and he's trying to kill the servant of the high priest. He'd had been the guy standing right next to the high priest who's really in the front of the whole thing next to Judas. right. And so Peter decides he's going to just cut his head off, you know, just whack him down the middle of the head with that sword. Malchus is smart enough to at least move his head, doesn't move it quite far enough, loses an ear in the process. Now this crazy moment right here. So he cuts off his right ear. And Jesus says... Oh, imagine 600 soldiers are getting ready to draw... They're already drawing their swords because, man, the fight just started and we're not going to be caught without a sword. So there's swords drawn everywhere now. And a whole bunch of tension. And Jesus yells, stop. Stop. No more of this, he says. Then he touched the servant's ear and healed him. Now i got to ask you, if you're one of those frontline guys that just witnessed all this... Hey, we're going into the... Gar- By the way, it's illegal... It's illegal for the Jews to go into the garden in the middle of the night and arrest a man for praying without charges. They'd have, they're supposed to arrest him in the morning, not, not tonight. Not supposed to have an, evil, an uh, arrest at night. Can you imagine? We're already doing something illegal, so this must be really big. right? We've got to go arrest this guy. Well, what's he doing? Well, he's praying. you know. And then he comes out and he confronts them. And they, remember, they all fall down when he confronts, when he says his name, I Am. They all fall down. They all stand back up, and then there's all that. And then Peter's trying to kill one of them. Peter's trying to kill one of them, so they're thinking, well, that's why we're taking him, because he's trying to kill people. He's, he's an insurgent. That's it. He's a rebel. He's got this whole army of guys, and they're gonna try to kill us, and Jesus goes, no, stop. We're not killing anybody tonight. Matter of fact, puts that guy's ear back on us, and heals him right in front of those guys. So, that, don't you have to think, if you're a soldier, you're going, so, why are we arresting this guy that can do God things? I mean, you know, I'd be going, hey, my elbow's been really sore this last month. If you could just put your hand right there, that'd be cool. You know, or hey, last battle I was in, I had this big cut over here, and it's not healing right. Can, can you? Wouldn't you be thinking, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? And this little tiny miracle occurs right in front of the greatest event that's ever going to happen, the cross of Calvary. It happens right there in the middle of all that and it's Peter completely out of his mind mentally and emotionally just completely lost in what he's trying to accomplish. He thinks he's going to murder Malchus and serve Jesus at the same time. Can you imagine? Where did he how in the world did he get that far off base? But he is he's way he's way off base. So let's take take a moment just look at the miracle of Malchus' ear, the healing of Malchus' ear. And uh, I'm just going to give you a couple of quick thoughts. I'd love for you to meditate on this because there's there's a lot more to it. But he touches his ears and heals him. And so here's one of the things that I think is pretty cool. Jesus, (laughs) Jesus can do miracles in the midst of a fight. He's the the centerpiece of the fight, by the way. Right in the middle of the fight, Jesus could stop the whole thing and go, hey, hang on. Let me fix that ear for you. Isn't that cool? Right in the middle of a fight. How many of y'all ever had a family fight and you just need Jesus to get in the middle of it and fix it? That's right. I'm just saying. He can do that. All them hands going up. I see him. Praise the Lord. He can do that. He can fix families in the middle of a fight. If we call on him, if we, if we allow him to have that freedom, he can do that. Jesus proves he can love his enemies, by the way. You want an enemy loving moment? Why are they here to arrest him, to take him to the cross? They're going to take him and try him overnight. They're going to punish him and torture him. Then they're going to turn him over to, to Pilate at 5 o'clock in the morning. As soon as the sun comes up, they can't get there. They're going to turn him over to Pilate, and then they're going to make sure Pilate's hands are tied, and he has to crucify him. Jesus knows all that. So this is the enemy of enemies right here for Jesus. The Romans are somewhat an enemy of the Jews, but I mean the enemy of enemies standing right in his very face. The high priest and Judas and Malchus, the high priest's servant, right there. And Jesus is showing us hey, you can love your enemies even when they're doing enemy things. You can love your enemies. And it's one of those moments where I almost think when Jesus comes back from the dead and He's raised and He's walking with the disciples and hanging out with them for those few days that He hung out with them, I almost think at some point He went, I told you you could do it. Remember? I showed you. <laughs> love your enemies. Love your enemies. Don't, Don't hate people. And then I think we learn this, that religious people can have a blinded rage. They're blinded by the rage against all the wrong stuff or the wrong people. Because listen, when Jesus healed Malchus' ear, fully healed him, when he healed his ear, if you were going to arrest him for declaring himself to be God, but not really being God, which is what the Jews are doing, they're just trying to get a guy that keeps claiming to be God, if you watched a guy put a guy's ear back on his head, wouldn't you go, hey, let's rethink that? We should at least revisit the idea that he's got some godlike qualities, like healing, because it's already all over our countryside for three years that he's done a ton of this. We just witnessed it with our eyes, and the high priest like, no, nope. tie his hands. Tie his hands. Bind him up. Taking him to jail, taking him to prison. they taking taking him to the Jewish temple prison. Isn't that crazy? They're, bl- they're blinded by their rage. They can't see God. I want to warn you that you got to be careful about getting caught in religious stuff, not relational stuff with Jesus because it can get you all the wrong ways. I want to finish today by telling you three ways that we miss God's plans because Peter missed God's plan big time here. I mean, he's just way out there. You've heard me mumble these in a whole bunch of sermons over the years and I thought I'd just put it together, a little package for you here this morning. Here's how you could really mess up God's work if you are just dumb enough to do it. And I want to tell you, everybody in this room, we're dumb enough to do it if we're not paying good attention. So let's learn from Peter's mistakes. Number one, Peter was talking when he should have been listening. Talking when he should have been listening. All you talkative people, I'm just talking to you right now. You should be listening, not talking, okay? Talking when he should have been listening. Luke 22:31. here's what Jesus says to him. Now by the way, Peter's heard Jesus talk about his death burial and that he will be raised again. He's heard Peter. He's heard Jesus talk about that he's going to be tortured by the Jews. He's going to be captured by him. He's heard him talk about all this suffering he's going to have to go through, and yet Peter just doesn't want to get on that page at all. Luke twenty two thirty one. this is in the upper room, the night before Peter messes up. The night that Peter messes up. Uh, it's the same night, it's just a little earlier in the evening. They're in the upper room having a meal together, Passover meal to obey the Passover. And uh, Jesus passes, is passing the broken body and all that around to him. And in that middle of all of that, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, Simon... Kinda of like when my mama used to call me Stanley Dallas. That's the moment where you go, okay. Got both names in there. Better pay attention. This got serious. Simon, Simon, behold! Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. That should have given Peter chills. I mean, he should have me. My stomach would have been sensitive to the food. I'd have been, you know, about to throw up right there at the table. Going, who did you just say is what doing what? Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. The sentence says, Peter, you're fixing to fall flat on your face, big man. Satan himself is going to sift you like wheat. That's how you shake wheat. He's going to shake you down, Peter. And when you've repented and turned, (laughs) after you've fallen and made a mess... Here's what he goes, strengthen your brothers. You, you, you work with them. Now, Peter could have heard in that sentence several things. I'm in big trouble here. This is bad. And he could have said to Jesus, Jesus, help me. You know, just tell me what to do. So, and Jesus says, look, I'm praying for you. So here's a good answer. By the way, we're going to a prayer meeting in a few minutes in the garden for a long, all-night prayer meeting. So it might be good for you to start praying for yourself as well. Because i got to pray for you. But here's what Jesus is, is exposing all that to him. And Peter, instead of listening to any of that, says, Lord, with you I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. I don't know who you're talking to. I'm not going to fail you. I'll go to prison for you. I'll die for you. Well, yeah, you will, Peter. You will. After you fall flat on your face. Because Satan has desire to sift you like wheat. So he's talking when he should be listening. There's this warning from Jesus, the King of kings, the Son of God, the One who Peter says is the Holy One from God. There's this warning, and Peter's not listening, but he's talking back. He totally missed the instructional time that he could have had with Jesus. And and FYI, Jesus says, prayer is important during this time, Peter. Prayer. Because I'm going to be praying for you. Peter was wise, he could have gone to Jesus and said, Tell me what you're praying. I want to pray exactly those words, man. Teach me how to pray for myself in the middle of this battle. Teach me how to fight this enemy Satan. I don't want to be sifted. I want to stand strong. I don't want to fail. He doesn't do anything. He just talks about it and goes, Well, pff, that's not me. You must be thinking about Bartholomew, man. He's kind of weak. You know? He's just not going to make it through all this. I mean, he's really arrogantly talking when he should be listening. And I want to say to you. We're supposed to listen to God. We're supposed to listen to the Word of God. Hear hear the words and listen to them and respond to them. Obey the Word. Secondly, he was sleeping when he should have been praying. When Jesus takes him into the Garden of Gethsemane, he invites his three inner disciples... Again, close to him to come pray with him. And he says, listen to what he says. Jesus went in with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter, two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And here's what Jesus says, verse 38. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Peter should be going, what? Tell me what to do for you. Help me, let me, how can I help you? Stay here and keep watch with me. Pray with me is what it says. Going a little farther, he fell to his face to the ground. He prayed, my father, if it be possible, may this cup, cup of sin that he has to drink from all of us, be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. This is one of the most difficult verses for me in all the Bible. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Could you men not keep watch with me for just one hour? Couldn't you just pray for one hour with me? That's all I was asked. Just one hour. You're sound asleep. And he says, verse 41, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Once again, a warning. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus is warning, warning, warning his disciples... And they're struggling to hear. They're letting their physical weariness take over. And they're getting themselves in a big mess. And as you know, Peter's going to be in a bigger mess with his denials and all the, the crisis he goes through. Uh, but just just after this is when Peter actually uh, tries to kill the band with a sword. Cuts off Malchus's ear. There's a great power in prayer, by the way. You can talk to God when you pray. You can talk to God, the Creator. God who who looks down on our planet at that giant hurricane that we go, man, this is the strongest hurricane ever. We're going to study this hurricane for years. Look how powerful it is. God, who could, if He were here and wanted to, could stand on any coastline anywhere and just speak to it and it would go away. It's roaring up the coast and it's going to destroy all this property. It's got all this intensity and all this power. It's one of the strongest storms on record in the Atlantic. All that stuff that we write down about it. And Jesus could just go, They go away. That's who you can pray to, by the way, and who listens. The Bible says he listens intently to our prayers. You can ask God. James 5, James chapter 1, verse 5 says you can ask God for wisdom. You can ask God for his wisdom in your life. Why wouldn't we pray more? I was in that prayer Bible study that we did in the last growth group with Jack Skinner, and I posted a bunch of this online, but I may try to redo it for you sometime real soon here. Um, but studying prayer more intensely with him, he said, when you're praying fervently for someone, the only way you can lose is to quit. I thought, well, you know, I've, I've struggled with that. I prayed for somebody for a long time, and then finally I give up. I don't see answers. And Jack said, no, you, the only way you lose is to quit. And he taught that your sins can hinder your prayers and your prayers are needed by those who are lost. So we need to stop letting our sins hinder our prayers. We need to understand, he says, that sin the way God views sin. And he he said this sentence in one of our Bible studies. It just amazed me. Eating a piece of fruit doesn't seem so bad, does it? But it meant Calvary to Jesus. As soon as that fruit was eaten, it meant he had to go to Calvary. Calvary. We need to be as serious about sin as Jesus is. He, he said in one of his Bible studies, If I regard iniquity in my heart, Psalm 66, the Lord will not hear me. We need to, we need to work on our sin. So prayer, prayer has the power to put demons to flight. And prayer has the power to bring a lost soul to Jesus himself, to the light of Jesus. Prayer can bring lost souls to the very light of Jesus. If... We're praying fervently if we're praying hard. And here's Peter and the other guys sleeping when they should be praying. You know how you miss and mess up God's plan and how you jump in the middle and make a big mess for God to fix rather than follow His plan? You talk when you should listen. You sleep when you pray. And then last, you fight when you should be following and submitting. John 18 our passage again, same passage we looked at earlier from Luke, but it's in John 18. Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus said, put up your sword. Shall I not drink from the cup my Father has given me? I'm just going to say to you, most of us as Christians, we fight all the wrong battles. We get in little word wars on Facebook over goofiest things. That little battle's never going to accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. You're just going to create a word war and get a bunch of troll people all freaked out and you're just not going to make any headway with it. We fight all the wrong battles. We try to convince strangers and we try to use strange analogies to convince some of our relatives that Jesus did have long hair or that He did make real wine. When I was growing up, the, the... the leading Christians at the time in the conservative evangelical churches were doing exactly the same thing. They were fighting all the wrong battles. They were worried to death about young people getting growing long hair and beards. Man, I remember how bad it was to have a mustache or a beard in the uh, 70s and 80s in Bible, Bible colleges. You just couldn't have it because it was a sign of rebellion. A sign of rebellion. Now everybody's got them. It wasn't a sign of rebellion. It was just, hey, I just hate shaving, for gosh sakes. Could I just not shave today? No, it's a sign of rebellion. And we made it all. And then churches started making it an issue. First two churches I ever worked for, we weren't allowed to have any facial hair at all. Sign of rebellion. No, it wasn't. We were fighting the wrong battles back then. We're making big time messes. And we're fighting all the battles about what, how, hair, how a guys' hair should look, which, of course, never bothered me at all. But it bothered, you know, Kendall got fired from, I don't know how many churches, over I'm kidding. But you know what I'm saying? We just made all the wrong battle lines. Why would not we do something like 1 Timothy? Look at this passage in 1 Timothy. God wants us to fight against sin, by the way, and against our own flesh. And He wants us to follow Him. 1 Timothy 6, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. And you had this whole list beforehand in the passage. Uh, love of money and all these other things. Run from all these evil things and chase after. The word pursue means chase after righteousness and a godly life along with all faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. How do you fight the good fight of faith? You chase righteousness. You know what most of us do? Just hard truth for us. We chase sin. We try to figure out how close can I get to this sinful behavior that looks so fun. How, cl- how, how close can I get this to be and be like this? I'm chasing after I'm pursuing the sin. I don't want to get burned by it and I sure don't want God to judge me, but I want to get real close. We chase after that. We don't chase after righteousness. We're literally supposed to chase righteousness. Chase it. And we're trying to figure out, well, you know, this movie's kind of iffy. I don't know. Maybe I should... I don't know if I should go or not, it's kind of one of those on the line things. Stop chasing after the I don't knows, the iffies, the in the middle stuff. Chase after the righteous stuff. Go, hey, this is a great, great movie. You know, it's got God stuff in it. Let's chase after that. Let's chase after behavior that looks like faith and perseverance and gentleness and godly living. Let's chase after that stuff. Let's stop chasing Sin, I think we flip it all upside down. And I think because of that, there's a little bit of Peter in all of us. And I think Peter let his rebellion, let his arrogance, uh, with all his credentials, I think he let his rebellion and his arrogance get a hold of him. And he got in a lot of trouble. And he literally jumped in the middle of God's redemptive plan and went, No! going to kill you. And Jesus has to go, But put your sword away. Man, you missed the whole point. We don't need that. We, none of us need to be in the, in the way of God's redemptive plan in any person's life. So I want to encourage you to be listeners. Listen to the Word of God. Read and study the Word of God. Digest it. It says in James, we were talking about this at our small group this last week, it says in the book of James to look intently in the law of liberty that will set you free. Look intently the law of liberty that will set you free. So let me give you three conclusions. Sometimes we assume we're helping Jesus, we're going completely in the wrong direction. Sometimes we assume we're helping Jesus, that'd be Peter, we're going completely in the wrong direction. And how do I know that? Well, I've been there, and we have to learn to listen, read the Word, listen to the counsel of the Word, seek God's heart, seek God's plan. Wait on God to lead you rather than... See, there's that one disciple going, should we draw our swords now? Is this this why we got the swords? Is this the battle we're supposed to fight? And then there's Peter going, straight in. Not not a good idea. So listen. Do exactly what God said on the mountain to, to, to the disciples around Jesus. Listen to Him. Number two, even when we make horrible mistakes in following Jesus... Man, I love this. He helps and continues to work His eternal purposes, even when we make horrible mistakes. He helps and He continues working His eternal purposes. It's why I can have couples sit in my office who say, "You know, we got married for all the wrong reasons, or we shouldn't have got this, we shouldn't have done it this way, or we didn't do it that way, and you know, we weren't, you know, I, I, He was not saved, or when we got married, now, you know, now we're." He's saved now, but we were unequally Ill. And there's all this whole, This they talk through it all. and go, hey, God knows all of that. He can unravel every bit of that and work. He loves working through our horrible mistakes. When we're following Him, He loves working through that. And He helps us continue to... He always works His eternal purposes in the midst of all of it. If, if we're listeners, if we're listeners and followers and seeking Him. And then I love this. Jesus continues to do miracles. In the midst of his own enemies and his own arrest, and for his enemies he did miracles. In the midst of his children causing strife, Peter's causing tremendous strife, and fights, which is totally against the purposes of God. In the midst of all that, Jesus is still doing miracles. In the midst of great personal suffering, Jesus isn't... By the way, he's just prayed so hard that he's bled from his face... When he did that miracle for Malchus. And he's had to have angels come from heaven. The second time in his life angels have come from heaven. They came into the garden to minister to him before the arrest. Because his, remember he said his soul was troubled. Troubled. He's had angels from heaven have to help shore him up. His physical body. And so in the midst of all that great personal suffering. He still does miracles. In the midst of great confusion. Because there had to be a ton of mass confusion Right there. Who is Jesus to yell stop and make the whole thing stop? And then He fixes the guy's ears, and then we're still going to arrest Him. And all that confusion, Jesus does miracles. Because He's a miracle-working Savior. He is. And you're supposed to believe that. By the way, you're supposed to proclaim that. He's a miracle-working Savior. Multiple times when Jesus did miracles, He said to to the people He did the miracles for in His early ministry, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Just go show yourself to the priest. Go take care of this, but don't, don't, don't spread the word. But at the end of his journey on earth, we're supposed to tell. And now that he's resurrected, we're supposed to tell about every miracle that happens. All the good things that happen to you. The ultimate greatest miracle of all is that you were saved. You were, you were bought with a price of his blood. And you were saved from hell into heaven. By the work of Christ. That's a miracle worth talking about by the way. It's one you're supposed to talk about the most. When people say well I just don't believe in miracles. Go I do. I can tell you one for me personally. You know I was one day at at some point in my life. I was bound for hell. Now I'm bound for heaven. And I'm sure that I'm bound for heaven. I'm 100% sure. I can show it to you in here. I can prove it to you. I can tell you my heart's settled with it all. I have a peace that passes understanding. You can't know till you take the word of God into your life like I have. That's what we're supposed to testify of. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and the band's going to come play us out today.